welcome you and say I'm glad that you're here. Um, this is the greatest church. I love this church. Uh, you guys, if you, members of this church, they give, they will serve. If you are connected to this church, you will never go hungry. You will never be hungry. People will reach out and they will serve you at this church. But I have a weekly battle with this church to get them to move forward and sit on the first two rows. Today, I changed all of the big, nice blue chairs and I put them further up and you still are sitting back there. And, and so again, I'm going to do this every week. I'm rewarding the closest people to me, okay? And so Chase is already, you're already there, but Chase, thank you, Chase. In fact, Chase, I tell you what, will you pick up that jar of salsa right next to you? And just, just show everybody what you got, okay? Chase, I'll give you free salsa, babe, anytime you need, okay? All right, now, uh, the other thing, uh, the, I got two more. So Jonathan, I'm going to give you, and Britt, do y'all already have journals? You already got a journal. Okay, Justin gets a journal because he's on the second row. So uh, Chase, will you just grab those two journals? Give one to Justin, and Jonathan, do you have one already? All right, see? Now, all you gotta do to get free stuff in this church is just sit closer and I don't have to beg and plead. All right, I'm just kidding. Now, I gave uh, um, Chase a, a, a jar of salsa that I discovered. Now, this is a version of, of another, my favorite substance in the whole world is uh, Texas Twister salsa. And, and I discovered it at ZestFest, you see? Zestfest is a place, one of the perks of, of, of a church is that I have members that just tell me about things. And one, Mike, all the way back in the back, Mike once invited me to Zestfest, which is a salsa convention. I've probably preached about this before because this is an amazing discovery, okay? There is a salsa convention. And uh, the interesting thing about not only do you get to taste it, but there's also all these contests. Now, the first time I went was probably 2018, 2017. I went 20, uh, and I kept going. I didn't go, uh, actually, I think I might've gone last year. I did go last year. I got a call, and I, I got a call last week, and I get this call about four times a year, maybe five to six sometimes. And it is a, um, somebody will call me and tell me, hey, did you go to ZestFest? And they'll say a date like 2019. It's not even the last time I went to ZestFest. And they'll say, I just want to let you know, you won a, a contest. In fact, you can go anywhere in the world. And it's always, you have won free tickets anywhere in the world. To which I'm always curious of how they got this. And so I say the same thing. I was like, okay, well, um, you, you know my phone number, so I can give you my email. Just send me the tickets. That's always what I tell them. Just send me the tickets. And they're not like, no, 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 no. You, uh, you need to come and you need to meet. And I'm like, no, 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 no. You don't understand. If I won, I, I don't believe you because what I think happened is somebody at ZestFest got all these emails from signing up. I think they sold that list. And I think that list has gone on and on. And I think I'm on some list somewhere for a timeshare somewhere. And I'm not going to for it. But I always, every time I get this, this email, I mean, this call, I always just tell them, hey, just send me the tickets. Just prove to me that, you know, you've promised me a trip anywhere. Sounds great. Okay. Just send me the tickets. Prove to me that this promise is true. Prove it by just sending it. Okay. Don't just tell me I got to come and I got to jump through some hoops. Just prove it. And I would tell you that Never once have they followed up on this. Have they said, I'm going to prove this promise that I made to you. But today I want to talk to you about how God has proven his promise to us. Because as I have preached and preached for years and years, 20 years, one thing that I can say is that we are in a season right now 
in which the things that I have always believed have not changed, but all of a sudden the culture around us and, and, and the mindsets of people around us have changed more than any time I've ever seen. We've been through a year of internal struggle in our own families, in our own lives, but we've also been through these external uh, struggles of figuring out uh, race relations, figuring out all of the different gender uh, identity relationships and all of these, all of these things that just come, come at us. There's distrust to the police, all of these things. And the way that we used to say some of the things, the way that we used to, to think about it, uh, we, we sometimes were very harsh, sometimes it was very... Uh, just this is the truth, let's just go with it. And one of the things that I, I've noticed is now we've got to, as Christians, kind of really make sure that we know what the promises are and that God has proven his promises because what I have said from the beginning of the pandemic and on is this, is that it is not about a left side or right side. A, it is not about a Republican or Democrat. It is not about anything other than we have to unite around the gospel. That is the solution to the problems in the world is the gospel. But the problem is even in the church, sometimes we, we have the gospel, but we've attached some other things to it. We've attached uh, that you've got to do this, this, you've got to jump through these hoops and all of that. And, and so today we're going to be continuing to go through the Old Testament, but we're going to be in Genesis chapter 15. And I want to show you, if for no other time, I just want everyone in this room to walk out knowing what is the gospel. Because the amazing thing is, is that the gospel is cited in Genesis chapter 15, probably clearer than anywhere else in the Bible. That's an amazing statement, but you're going to see it. So if you're new to this series, we've been going through the life. Actually, we've been going through the whole Bible, but we've been doing it by uh, person. So we're in Abraham, or Abram as he's known right now. Next week, hint, hint, he's going to get his name changed. But Abram is kind of the first um, patriarch. He's the first kind of leader that God has called him out of, out of uh, his um, just pagan background. He, he was from Babylon, basically. And God said, hey, if you'll trust me, just go to this land I'm going to give you. And so he goes, and that's a step of faith. But then he gets there, and it gets, he gets hungry. There's a famine, and he goes, and he immediately says, I don't know if I can really trust God. And so he goes to Egypt, and Egypt, uh, some crazy things went on. And, and eventually he walks out, and God protects him. Protects him. In fact, I said protects us. That's a new word. That's... Uh, I'm going to use that someday. I'm going to work that into my vernacular. God protects him and he takes him out and he puts him in back into this promised land. And this time his faith has grown a little bit. He's seen even, even though I, I, I doubted God, even though I didn't trust him fully when I was in Egypt, he still protected me. He still blessed me. And so then he gets there and he, he has some strife in his family and his family has grown and his property has grown. And he's just, uh, um, he's a goat herder, basically. He, he's uh, moving around and he's this wanderer. And instead of getting in a fight with his family, with his nephew Lot, what he says is, you pick the best thing. And we see his faith is, okay, he's trusting that no matter where he, he goes, God is going to be with him. So Lot goes and takes the best land. And we see Abram still blessed in the land that he is given from that. And then last week we went through this, fact, this, this story where Lot gets captured by four nations. And, and in faith, now we see Abram's faith growing. And he's saying, you know what? I, I've trusted God a few times and it seems to be working out. And so Abram went and fought a four-nation army and he actually was victorious. He had 318 people and some more families joined him. Some uh, other clans kind of joined him. And they actually went and they rescued Lot. And in the process, they met this man, Mekesildik, who uh, who was a 
or Machizeldeck, some people say it different. He, he was this Christ figure. Now, he was not like the pre-incarnate Christ. I don't think that's what we would say, but he was this archetype, this, hey, God is doing something that's so bigger than what we, we sometimes think. And it's just this priest in Jerusalem who we didn't even know that, that, that there were people worshiping Yahweh outside of Abram, but, but Abram meets this guy and, and he's been worshiping God for a while. And, and it's just, it's an amazing kind of uh, premonition or, or uh, preview of what God is going to do. So Abram's gone up and down and he's just, his faith is growing, but he still has these doubts. And that's where we begin in Genesis chapter 15. It says, after these things, after this big war, after he rescued uh, his nephew, the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram, I am your shield. Your reward will be very great. It's very curious. Why would he be fearful. You know, why would you be fearful if you were rich, you had a lot of property, you had this promised land which you were, you were living in, you've seen victory over armies, you seem to, things seem to be going well. Well, the, the reason I believe, I believe there's probably a reason he was fearful. One of those reasons is I think he'd just been in battle, and I think that he had seen his mortality. And even if you have promises of God, I think that seeing your mortality, mortality seeing death and stuff, well, has a way of kind of putting a fear into you of, oh, this doesn't last forever. But another thing I think is that the first promise that Abram was given was just that you, your descendants will number. You're going to have all of these descendants. Generations are going to come after you. And, he, and he's beginning to see that. But they're not his biological, they're not his, his flesh and blood. These are, are people that have joined on. Some of them are his uh, nephews. And, 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 and so the, the family and the tribe is growing. But he really wants this. He, he took this promise as God is going to give me children. And that was a big deal in the time. Uh, it was a huge deal. It was a, a, even bigger than, than now. This was a, a big deal, especially as you got more stuff. Hey, I want to be able to give this to my 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 children and stuff. And so I think there's this fear that, you know what, God's promise may still happen. Generations may still be blessed, but all of a sudden he's beginning to see, but maybe my life, maybe God doesn't like me the way I thought that God liked me. Maybe God, maybe I've made him mad. Maybe, maybe something to where, yes, he's still going to do what he said he's going to do, but it's not exactly the way I thought it would be. In fact, I, I really don't even feel as if this is much of a blessing. Maybe he's beginning to have this this faith crisis. So this is what happens next. It says, Abram said, O Lord, what will you give me? For I continue childless. The heir of my house is Eleazar of Damascus. It's, in other words, he has either a, a servant, somebody that has joined on with him, and that's who's going to get all of his stuff. And, and he says, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my Air. So you have this man whose faith has been growing and growing, but he still is moving forward. He's still worshiping. He's still coming into church in our language. He's still, you know, pursuing God, but in his heart, he's like, it's not like I thought it would be. God's not quite doing what I thought he would do. And so he has this first, just this doubt. And so the word of the Lord came to him. This man shall not be your heir, but your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside. And, and by the way, he does this in almost every chapter. He, he gives him this promise. He renews it. He says this. He says, look towards heaven, the number of stars, uh, if you are able to number them. And he said, so shall your offspring be. 
And again, he says, listen, you're going to have offspring. And, and, and Abram's like, okay, that's good. I'm, I keep getting this, this sense that God is with me, but I just don't see it. Now, the next statement, every single person in here, I want you to read this statement and, and, and really consider it. We're going to go through and break this down. He says, and he believed the Lord and he counted it to him as righteousness. This is as clear as I can state the gospel. So let's go through this real quick. He believed. Okay, let's highlight that, that word believed. He believed. What does it mean to believe? Well, this is a statement of faith. You see, uh, in Hebrews uh, and in Romans chapter 4, Abram's faith is really highlighted. This is what Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1 through 3 says faith is, or this belief is. So when we say, hey, believe in Jesus, this is what we mean. It says, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it, people of old received commendation. By faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God so that it, so that it is seen was not made out of things that are visible. I want to skip to verse 8 now. In verse 8, it says this, by faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called out to go to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith he went to live in the land of the promise, in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac, Jacob, heirs with him to the same promise. Now, what's it saying? It's saying that faith is this assurance. It's when we live as if we are 100% sure, even though we are never 100% sure. You are never 100% sure when we talk about faith. This is what Habakkuk 2.4 says. It's, uh, just, it's, it says the righteous will walk by faith. The righteous will live by faith. When we talk about belief, what we mean is you set your mind to, you know what, God created this world. I didn't see him do it. I didn't see him do it, but he did it. I'm going to live by faith. And by the way, everybody lives by faith. You either live your, by, by faith that, you know what, I see creation. I see that, that, that God has done, is doing something here, and I just want to do whatever he wants me to do. Or we can, there are some people that, that live by faith that God is not there. Now, for me, when I wrestled with this, this is kind of the conclusion I came to is, if, if God is not there, that means none of us have any reason to be here. None of us really have a purpose in life. None of us have really a reason to get up because I'm just a whole bunch of atoms stuck together, and so are you. And what I noticed is people that live this way don't live this way. People that say they have faith or that they have no faith in God don't live this way. Nobody gets up and says, I have no reason to get up. Nobody looks at their child and says, I really don't care what happens to them. They're just a, a collection of atoms and stuff. That's not real. Nobody lives as if God doesn't exist. And so for me, I just begin to say, you know what? I, I can't live as if God doesn't exist. I have to. And so I begin to just say, you know what? I'm going to put my faith and the fact that I believe my children have ultimate value to me. I, I believe that, that God has given me a purpose in life. And I'm going to live that way out of faith. I'm going to live my life as if, 100%, as if I saw him put the moon in the sky. But I didn't. It's faith. I am putting my faith fully aware that there are a, a, a hundred questions you could ask me that I wouldn't be able to just rattle off an answer to. So he believed. He had faith in the Lord. The second thing, and he counted it to him. That is, God counted it to him, his faith. What does this word counted mean? It means accredited. It could mean uh, bestowed upon. Uh, the best way to illustrate it, I would say, would be an honorary doctorate. How many of you have ever heard of an honorary doctorate? Okay. Honor. Okay. No one's participating. You've never heard of an, I find this hard to believe. Thank you. Just humor me. Listen, 
The way that colleges get these famous people to come speak at their commencements is they give them an honorary doctorate. Bob Hope was known to have over 100 honorary doctorates. My favorite honorary doctorates that I know right now is Kanye West is an honorary doctorate. Uh, LL Cool J, he might act, I mean, he seems like a smart guy. He's got an honorary doctorate. Uh, Mike Tyson has an honorary doctorate. Um, the one that just blows my mind is Ben Affleck has an honorary doctorate. I don't know why that just bugs me, but it does. Because this is what I know. Ben Affleck never wrote a dis dissertation. Never, okay? I'm willing to put money on that, okay? Mike Tyson never went through, you know, clinic, clinicals or whatever medical doctors have to do. He never went through the rotations. He never did all of that. I'm, I'm willing to bet money, okay? But yet somebody said, hey, I'm just going to give you a doctorate. I'm going to give you this thing that if you were to try to earn on yourself, it would take years. And so this verse says, listen, by, by living as if I am there, by putting your trust and orienting and putting your faith in the fact that I have put you here, that I love you, that I created you to be with you, by, by living as if I am God, I am bestowing upon you righteousness. Righteousness, this means justification before God. This means moral virtue. In other words, he's saying, from the beginning, you know, sometimes you hear people say, well, I just, the Old Testament's different than the New Testament. It's a different God. It just doesn't make, they don't seem to. I'm telling you, if you read the book and don't listen to what other people tell you, you actually look, you'll see from the beginning, from the beginning, it was never about being good enough. From the beginning, faith has always been the path to God. The way that, that you live a moral life is not by being good enough. You know, as a, as a child, it's hard to, to reconcile, reconcile this because you mess up, your mom sends you to your room, but, but yet we're being told in church, you know what, God, God loves you despite your sins. It's all about your faith. It's all about your faith. But yet there are these rules that get tacked on. Well, you can't do this, you can't do this, you gotta do this, you gotta do this. But listen, at its core, when we talk about the gospel, he believed and it was accredited to him as righteous. It was counted to him as righteousness. You are good before God. You are holy, set apart. You are righteous. You are morally good before God. And it's not because you earned it. It was bestowed upon you because you lived a life of faith. So he says this about Abram, which if God, if you had this God, God, you know, I, again, I don't think this is an audible voice. I, I, many times I've kind of shown you why I don't think this is audible, but in his spirit, he's being told, you know what? God is pleased with me. And it's not because of something I did. It's just because of the, that's the gospel. But look what happens next. Look what, look what happens right after this. And he said to him, I am the Lord. This is verse seven, Genesis 15. He said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you to this land to possess. And he said, this Abram saying back, oh Lord, how am I to know that I shall possess it? This struck you as odd is the man with faith who he says, God, God says, man, you've got faith and I'm going to accredit it to you. I'm going to count it as righteousness. And the first thing he says was, how will I know? The first thing he does is doubt. So what we've got to understand is that faith and doubt go together. Faith is not the absence of doubt. Faith is the absence of certainty. This is a key idea in your walk with God. Faith is not the absence of doubt. The first thing he does is doubt. How am I going to know this? God, you've been telling me. How, how do I know? What happens next is amazing. 
The answer all of us want when we doubt, bring me a heifer. That's what God says to him. Bring me a heifer. Now you hear this and we think, man, that's weird. That's why I don't like the Bible. The Bible's just weird. Who brings heifers, you know? He says, bring me a heifer three years old. Not two years old, not four years old. Three-year-old heifer. He said, a female goat, three years, a ram, three years, turtle dove, and a young pigeon. And he brought them and he cut them in half and he laid them half over against each other. But he did not cut the birds in half. What's interesting is God says, bring me the heifer, bring me the, the goat. He says, bring me these animals. And for us, we're like, question marks all over the place. Abram immediately takes these animals and, and cuts them in half and he recognizes immediately what's going on. This is not something out of the ordinary to Abram. Abram gets excited. He immediately, God doesn't tell him to cut these animals. He just does it because Abram knows what's going on. God is about to confirm this promise. He is giving this covenant and a covenant confirms a promise. A covenant confirms a promise. So he's gonna make a covenant. He's gonna make this stronger than, a, than just a promise. He's been given a promise. Now he's going to solidify it. Think of it this way. This is like signing a contract. If I were to tell my, my kids, hey, we're going to, I'm gonna, I'm gonna get you a car someday. I'm gonna get you a car. I'm gonna buy you a car. And every day I told him that. And then he turned 16 and I'm still telling him. Still. Eventually, hey dad, let's go somewhere and sign a contract. And when I sign that contract, all of a sudden, then I'm on the hook for it because it confirms, you know, I mean, that confirms the promise. You know, Dave Chappelle lost $50 million because he signed a contract. Because not only do contracts confer a promise, they also contain consequences. You see, there's consequences when you sign a, a, a contract. And all of a sudden, Abram sees, wow, wait a second, we're going to make this thing legal. We're going to make this thing official. So I, I don't have to doubt anymore. He's about to give a covenant. He's going to sign a legal document. He's going to do something. Those, you know, signing a document, a legal document, so wimpy compared to the way that, that they used to do it. They would take these animals and they would cut them in half. And these were all sacrificial animals because it was God that we're dealing with. But the, really, it could be any animal. What they would do is they would take the animals, they would cut them in half, and then both parties would walk through the, the middle of these slain animals. So half the goat over here, half of it over here, half the, the heifer over here, half of it over here. They'd walk through the middle. And as they do this together, what they're saying to each other is if I don't carry out my end of the bargain, this is what's going to happen to me. In other words, he's, by walking through, the, the person was signing their life, giving permission if they fail, if they don't live up to their end of the bargain, my life will be taken. They are signing their life on the line. And so they make this, and it's very, and Abram, or Abram sets it up, and then nothing happens right then. He set up this covenant, and we go to the next verse. It says, and the birds of, the, uh, birds of prey came down on the carcasses, and Abram drove them away. Now, what happened? He heard God say, hey, we're going to make a covenant, but cutting the animals was not the covenant. Walking through is the covenant. And so Abram does it, and now he's waiting. He's like, it's kind of like I, I got the, the pen and pad out, and, and it's just sitting there, and it's just sitting there, and, and you're waiting. Well, when are you going to sign it? And so these birds start coming and picking at the carcasses. But Abram is so confident that God is going to fulfill not just this promise, but this covenant. He starts to drive these birds away. I think there's a lot of applications that I really don't have time to get into. But I will just say this, that anytime we know God has put a promise of eternal life in our life, 
Or God has given a promise that he will never leave or forsake us. Or God has given us a promise that, that, that no matter how far gone it may seem, you will never go hungry. You will never have to worry about where you're going to get clothed or, or, or where you're going to get your food because God is going to be faithful. He's going to provide. All of these promises are for you. But sometimes you have to drive the birds away waiting for them. You have to be confident. You know what? God, you showed up then, but I, I, I'm confident there's more. And that's what he's doing. He's, he's like, I see now this covenant coming. So he drives the bird away, the birds away. And then the Lord said to Abram, know for certain, this is for certain. And they've got this covenant right there. It's about to be for certain. Your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs. And they will be servants there. And they will be afflicted for 400 years. And I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve. And afterwards they shall come out with great possessions. As for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried at a good old age. And they shall come back here in the fourth generation. For the iniquity of the Amorites is not complete. Now there's a lot going on. But God gives this prophecy of, listen, Abram. Let me tell you clearly what I'm about to do. Your generate, you are going to have offspring and they're going to go and be in, in Egypt for a while and they're going to be uh, enslaved, but I'm going to rescue them the way that, that I rescue everyone. I'm going to rescue them. But when they come back in here, they're going to take total control. But right now, it's not going to happen now because there's this group, the Amorites, that are in the promised land, that are all around uh, Abram right now. They're in Canaan. They're in what we would call modern day Israel. They are uh, in Palestine. They're, they're the Amorites are there, but the Amorites are not yet wicked enough. And so God is in grace, even if you read between the lines, he's in grace saying, listen, I'm going to give the Amorites more time. And if they repent, if they come to me, then listen, we're going to have to go a different way. But, but, but I'm going to give them a chance. So even in, in the enemies, there's this opportunity of grace. And he prophesies this. And for the first time, Abram says, oh, I, I'm going to have children and I'm going to live a nice life. How many of us, if only thing God promised us was you're going to get to live to a good old age, would take that? I think I would take it. And so there he is sitting looking at this and he's got this prophecy. Okay, God's, he, he seems to be getting more specific, he's telling me. And then in verse 17, when the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking fire pot and flaming torch passed between these pieces. The presence of God comes down in, into a, a fire pot and, and a torch, and they go between the covenant. Now, this is the gospel, let's be clear. But the question is, God never told Abram to walk through. Why did Abram not walk through? There's no covenant between two people. There's no contract between two people if only one person signs on the line. So we are immediately met with a question and a, a uh, reader at that time would have certainly said, wait a second, only one person went through. So God has made these promises and he said, you're, you're faithful. You, 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 you've lived your life as if I am going to fulfill your, these promises and I'm going to credit it to you as righteous. You are my man because of your faith. And then he says, and I'm going to sign on the line. And if I don't do what I say, I'm going to do. This is God speaking. It doesn't even make sense to them. If I don't do what I say, then I'm going to be crushed. I'm going to be cut. I'm going to be killed. You can kill me, Abraham, which is an impossible thing. He can't. So the question is, why doesn't Abram walk through? And once you begin to realize the scope of the Bible, we begin to realize somebody signed for Abram. God walks through not just for himself, 
but he walks through for Abram. And this is what he is in, in essence saying. Abram, I'm, I'm going to walk through this on my end. You know my promises are good. I am going to bless you, and I'm going to bless your descendants, and the world is going to know who I am because of the way that I bless you. But if you rebel, or if your descendants rebel, or if they don't keep the faith, or if they walk away, then I'm also going to sign for them. And if they rebel, I will be broken for them. I will be cut in half for them. I will be pressed and crushed for them so that they can still be credited as righteousness. You see, right here is the gospel. This is where it starts. And, and by the way, um, Paul in Romans 4, when he talks about this, I'm going to jump back just to give Kevin a little hard time here. It says, and, and, and Romans 4, 13 says, for the promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be the heir to the, of the world did not come through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For no law existed at the time. For if the, for if the adherents of the law who are to be the heirs, then faith is null and the promise is void. In other words, Paul says, listen, the law didn't even exist when they made this covenant. This wasn't about doing enough. This was about having faith, but God signed on the line for you and for me and for everyone that has come after Abram and said, listen, even when you screw up, I will pay the penalty for your lack of faith, for your rebellion against me. Whatever happens, I will pay the price. The prophet Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 52 we're still in the Old Testament, but this is hundreds of years. This is what he begins to say about this, this Messiah figure that we've seen. In Genesis 3, we, set, we, we begin to see that there's these, these prophecies that someday God is going to make things right. But in Isaiah 53, we have what's called the suffering servant. I just want to read three verses. In verse 10, it says this, Yet he was the will of the, it was the will of the Lord to crush him. To, he has put, on, has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt... He shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. And out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteousness or righteous. And he shall bear their iniquities. This is a prophecy about how God was going to do this about Jesus. And he says the same language. He is going to, by being crushed, by being, by, by being put through this, he is going to account many as righteous. That's us. And he's going to bear our iniquities, our sins. Therefore, I will divide a portion, him a portion with the many. And I shall divide the spoil with the strong because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sins of many and made intercessions for the transgressors. When we think about God, and right now we have so many people telling us, you know, why God is right, why God is wrong. But I'll tell you from the essence, the reason I put my faith in this God, right? The reason I put my faith in Jesus Christ is because the promise isn't just that, that you will have eternal life. The promise is even when you screw up, even when you wonder, am I even good enough? Did I do something wrong to maybe I've disqualified myself? We can look back and say, not only did he promise us, but he counted us righteous, not because of us, but because of him. And when we failed, he allowed himself to be torn into. He allowed himself to be crucified for us. 
It's the best covenant you've ever signed when you decide to walk by faith in this God. And, and the thing I love about it is God chose this covenant at a, at a time 3,000 years ago, and he chose it because they knew the significance of it. It was God saying, I'm going to come into your world, and I'm going to do something that you can recognize. And even today, how many of us have had a thought of, you know what, I just don't think I deserve, I don't know if I'm good enough. I don't know if, I, if I've done enough. I love the fact that what God did 3,000 years ago and then he did 2,000 years ago on a cross, this fulfillment we can understand is, you know what? A payment was made that we could never pay. You know what? God did stuff on my behalf when I didn't deserve it just because he loved, because he wanted to credit me with his righteousness. I'm gonna leave just by Romans 4. I encourage y'all to read Romans 4. This is about the faith of Abraham. This is what it ends with. It will be counted to us who believe in him, who raised from the dead Jesus, our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. Don't ever, ever, ever lose sight that at the core, you're going to tell people that, or you're going to have people tell us that what we believe is wrong or this or that, and, and we might even get lost in the debate. I myself do the same thing. But in essence, whether you are, are far off from God, whether you are living a life in total rebellion, or you're trying to do just like Abram, as close as you can, but you know you are falling short, never forget the gospel. When we have faith that God is who he said he is, when we have faith in Jesus that he did what he said he would do, he died for our sins, that it is counted to you as righteous. You never have to worry, am I good enough? Am I going to really be redeemed? Am I really going to get through this time? The promises are signed, sealed, and delivered. And Jesus did it for you on the cross. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you so much for clarity in a world that has no clarity. I thank you for certainty in a world that has no certainty. I thank you for love in a world that doesn't even seem to have a lot of love. Lord, every single one of us in here, me most of all, has fallen short. In my mind, I might have said, I'm going to be as good as I can be. I'm going to, I'm going to do everything right. But in my, my heart and in my actions, I have rebelled and fallen short so many times. Lord, I thank you so much for giving us confidence, for giving us a promise and a covenant that show us it's not about us, it's about you. And then you fulfilled it with Christ on the cross. I pray for every single person out here who's ever had a doubt or a struggle in faith and thought maybe, maybe this isn't right, maybe I'm, I'm far off. And instead, Lord, I pray that in this moment you will draw them to you. You will, you will show them that every promise you've ever made, you've fulfilled. And every promise we've ever broken, you've still made a way. You've fulfilled even when we didn't keep our way. Lord, we sing to you. We love you. We serve you. We give all of these things, not because we think it's going to credit us as righteousness. Lord, we do all these things to serve you because of what you did for us. Lord, we love you and we thank you for the gospel. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.